Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Lexus Enthusiast podcast. My name is Kevin Watts, and I'm the founder and editor of the Lexus Enthusiast website. Now, over the eight years that I've been writing about Lexus, I've met a number of interesting people. Either they work at Lexus, own a Lexus, or even cover Lexus as a journalist. And I thought it would be worthwhile to introduce these people to my audience. And that's why today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Mark Templin, the one-time Lexus USA general manager and now the executive vice president of Lexus International. Welcome, Mark. Oh, thanks for having me, Kevin. It's great. I was very thrilled to have you as my first guest because you're a very prominent uh, executive at Lexus and I always enjoy our conversations. As a way of introducing yourself, can you explain your current position and your responsibilities? Well, you did a very good job of explaining what my title was anyway. I am Executive Vice President of Lexus International. I'm, I'm also a Managing Officer of Toyota Motor Corporation. Uh, as, as Executive Vice President of Lexus International, I'm responsible for all of the planning for Lexus. That means all of our strategic planning, all of our business planning, all of our product planning, sales and marketing planning, our brand management division. So basically all of the, the functions of uh, planning and sales and marketing are my responsibility on a global basis for Lexus. So it's a pretty interesting position, and I was wondering if you could explain how you got started in the automotive industry. Well, well that's interesting. I probably shouldn't admit it to everyone, but uh, I, uh, when I was in high school and even younger, I worked a lot with my father on mechanical things. He worked in the construction equipment industry for 45 years, and he's the kind of guy that can fix anything. So I grew up working on cars and all kinds of equipment, machinery. And when I got out of high school, I started to think about what I wanted to do next. All I wanted to do at that point in my life was play football. So I went off to, to the University of Central Missouri. Then it was called Central Missouri State University to play football. And that's all I really cared about. Once I got there, I had to choose a major. So as I was thumbing through the course catalogs and the list of all the majors that were offered at the university, I find a program uh, where I could study automotive technology. And I said, oh, something I already know about. That's awesome. So I, I studied automotive technology and power technology. It was an extended program beyond the automotive technology program that had aircraft powertrains and hydraulics and pneumatics and, and uh, a lot of manufacturing stuff. And then I started working on a master's degree in industrial management before I got sucked up in the auto industry. That's quite a uh, happy accident, I suppose. <laughs> it was for me. And then... Um... I understand that you eventually got to GM and you worked on the Oldsmobile brand? Yeah, it was interesting. When I, when I graduated from college, I went off to work for an engine distributor, a diesel engine distributor, um, and I was working on my master's degree, taking night classes. GM contacted me. They had found some information about me from the university, and they asked me to come to an interview. I did. Ultimately, it all worked out, and I went to work for Oldsmobile Division of General Motors in the Kansas City zone office where I was living. So you spent about six years with GM, and then at that time, you moved. I think it was about 1990, is that correct, that you moved over to Lexus? Yeah, I spent, I spent six years at General Motors. I worked in Kansas City. I worked in Los Angeles. They transferred me to San Francisco, and then I left. I had a, a lot of different jobs there on the service and the sales side, and then I came to Lexus. Actually, I was offered a position in Lexus at the end of 1989, just months after the launch of the brand in the United States. What was your first position there? I, I had a really good career going at General Motors, and I, I, I think I learned a lot. It was a really good place to start. But when I saw the first LS in 1989, I really studied it. And as a guy who studied automotive technology and worked on mechanical things my whole life, I was so impressed with the product, it made me jump at the chance to come to work for Lexus. 
at first they wanted to hire me at Lexus to be a market representation manager. That is the person in our regional offices who goes out and determines, uh, they do market studies, determine where our dealerships should be located, and then goes through a selection process to choose our, our retail partners in the marketplace. And uh, when they offered me the job, I said, well, I don't want to be a market rep manager because if I do that, I'll only learn one thing about this company, and I want to learn everything. And so I'd rather be a district sales manager because a district sales manager is the person that's calling on dealers that does everything. And he gets to know more people. He gets to know more of each of the different departments that, that function in the company. And it's a really good place to start. So they, they hired me as a district sales manager. I did that for a, a few months, and then they pushed me right into a staff manager job. But it was a really good way for me to start in the company because I got exposed to everything. So from your bio, I understand that you were uh, eventually made it to vice president of marketing. What time period was that? Oh, boy. Starting about uh, way back in the mid-90s, I, I was a general manager of our regional office in Atlanta uh, that covers the southeastern 11 states. And I came in first uh, to be vice president of customer services at Lexus. I did that for a short period, and then I was moved over to vice president of marketing for Lexus uh, before I went on to take a stint at, at Scion. I have to ask, you know, I'm a bit of a advertising nerd. I'm curious about if there was uh, any memorable campaigns that you might have participated in. Well, you know, we, we did a lot of great things during that period of time, but more more than any single campaign that we did during my tenure as vice president of marketing at Lexus, I think the thing that I'm most proud of probably was the brand initiatives that we led at that point in time. And we were we were working really hard on looking outside of the auto industry. From our perspective at the time, we were providing the best products in the industry and our retail partners were providing the best customer experience in the industry, bar none. And we didn't want to benchmark ourselves against anybody inside the auto industry because we always we already felt like we were doing better than the rest of the industry. And so we wanted to look at what, what the rest of the world sees in brands that they deal with on a regular basis. So we reached outside of the auto industry and we really worked with brands that were special in the hearts and minds of the same consumers that we were reaching outside of our industry. And we were able to use what we learned from that and we created this Lexus Leadership Summit for our dealers. And we brought them in to the four seasons at Aviara in uh, Southern California down in North San Diego County. And we had these great week-long sessions where we exposed them to things that other brands do. And it was really powerful for us and for the dealers. And I think we all learned a lot from the experiences. And, and from that time, we've actually taken a lot of action on a lot of the things that we learned in those sessions. It's funny when you said you were thinking about brands outside of the automotive industry, because I immediately flashed to the, the Lexus Coach Edition uh, of the late 90s. Uh, so you spent about 15 years in the, the Lexus division, and then you became general manager of Scion. What was it like going from a luxury perspective to entry level? And what kind of lessons were you able to bring back once you returned? Yeah, you know, that was that was a real exciting time in my career, to tell you the truth. When I went from being vice president of Lexus marketing to being vice president of Scion, um, I was able to take everything that I'd learned in the auto industry for all those years and bring them to bear on the Scion brand. And at the time, Scion brand had just launched when I went over to take over. And it was a really exciting time for us because Scion truly was and is still today an incubator for trying new things, for experimenting. And in fact, the way I always looked at it when I was there was, if we weren't failing at things that we were doing once in a while, we weren't trying hard enough to push the envelope to try new things. And so I, I think it was a 
a good experience for me because it made me think that way all the time. You know, uh, we were given the freedom to go try new things, and I've always tried to do that with Lexus when I when I came back to Lexus too. We always want to keep pushing the envelope and looking for new opportunities to to improve the guest experience, improve our products for our customers, and a kind of uh, incubator for experimentation lives on in Lexus now because of it. Because the luxury automotive industry uh, is definitely looking at younger and younger audiences. So I can imagine that having that experience with Scion, you know, youth brand Scion, would definitely benefit you in in approaching those consumers now. Oh, absolutely. I'm telling you, all, all of the time that we spent with the millennials and the research that we did regarding that youth audience really has helped shape my framework um, my mindset around what those generations of buyers want in the future. So uh, it was invaluable to me. So then after Scion, you spent five years as general manager of Lexus USA. And it was during this stretch that there were some difficulties, uh, multiple vehicle recalls, and then the uh, the Japan earthquake. Uh, what was it like working through those tough times? Yeah, that, that was that was an interesting uh, time period in my career. You know, I spent five years here, and for about four years of it, a lot of those issues that you're talking about were taking place. It was some of the most difficult time, but it was also some of the most rewarding time. And, and it proved to me the things that we were always good at really will get you through good times and bad times. And that means great communication throughout the organization with all of your partners, great retail partners who take care of customers, you know, I don't know if you've heard the analogy of you know, filling up a bucket with goodwill over over time. When you do something good, you fill up that bucket, bucket with goodwill. When something bad happens, you take out a couple of those uh, ladles of, of goodwill. But if you've built it up, in our case, we had 20 years of that goodwill built up, and, and our loyal customers uh, stayed with us during that period of time. And I think that the organization, the culture of the organization, the communication, the teamwork that went on at the time allowed us to get through it when a lot of people didn't expect us to. I think you're right because with uh, hard times comes strength, right? So Absolutely. And I think that you were able to rebound so quickly from that to really now transform almost right back to where you were. So I think it does speak to the strength of the organization. Yeah, we've, we're consistently setting year after year global records now in terms of our performance. So, uh, yeah, we've rebounded nicely. But it, it never was about selling more cars. It was about doing the right things. You know, what I want everyone to realize is during those most difficult times, all those little things that happened, um, we got through. The biggest challenge that we had, we weren't launching a lot of new products at that time. And we've learned from that. Now we have the best product plan I've ever seen in the 25 years that I've been at Lexus. We have great cadence with new products coming all the time. We have much better life cycle management. So throughout the life cycle of a product, we'll add new features, um, new powertrains, and, and things to keep the product fresh throughout its life cycle. So uh, I'm really excited about the future because we have the best product plans going forward that I've ever seen in my 25-year history at Lexus. So you would say that you're getting to a point where things are back to normal and you feel stronger because of it? Yeah, you know, I would say I don't want us to ever feel like things are normal because we always want to be pushing for something better, right? Always better. It's kind of uh, Akio Toyota's mantra is always better cars, always better experience. We should always be looking for a better way, and, and that's what – so we don't want to make it – we don't want everybody to feel like anything's ever normal. We're going to keep pushing for more and better. So you jump from the U.S. market and you move to the international group in Japan. Did you find it difficult to transition from focusing on a regional area to taking on a more global position? 
You know, you know, it was interesting. It, it really happened kind of naturally, to tell you the truth. The first year that I was working in Japan, I had I had a dual role. I was still running Lexus in the U.S. and I and I, I was working in Japan. So I spent half my time here. I spent half of my time in Japan. And that was a really good transition for me because I got to keep my foot in in the the giant U.S. operation uh, that I'd been involved with for such a long time. But I also got to start to help grow the rest of the world. And I I think that was a good, easy transition for me. It it, It made it good. But today, I think we have consistent values all over the world. The brand consistency everywhere. We're known everywhere in the world for having the best quality and the best customer experience and great safety and all those rational things. My job is to bring more emotion to the brand now, and we'll do that through product and a lot of the other things that we'll execute in the coming years. So would you say that building that emotion and creating a mystique around the brand is the biggest challenge that you're having? Yeah, well, the biggest challenge is always prioritizing the resources, right? You know, you can't do everything. There are a million things that I'd love to do right now, but you don't have the resources to do them all at one time. So you have to be strategic in the way you deploy those resources, and that's probably the biggest challenge. When you think about it, over the last few years, we've been very effective at at, at executing our plan. You go back and you think a few years ago, our plan first was to to create a brand identity across the Lexus lineup, have a design theme that gave the Lexus family a brand identity. And you see that most vividly in the spindle grill and the other styling cues of our products. And in less than two years, we, we changed the face of every single product in the Lexus lineup. I mean, nobody's ever changed every product in their lineup in less than two years. That was the first step. The second step was bring the emotion to the brand, you know, with cars like the ISF, the LFA, now the RCF, the GSF, and those are going to bring that emotional appeal to the brand. And then we'll follow that up with a lot of great volume products that are core to the business. And NX is the first in line of those. What's the next for Lexus on the global scale? Like, what is your next goal? Well, the focus is going to continue. The plan that we put in place a few years ago is going to continue. We'll jump to start this thing with a a couple of other great, exciting products in the near-term future. And you're going to see us uh, take the brand to a whole new place over the next few years. I don't want to reveal too much at this point in time, but uh, uh, it's really exciting for me after 25 years with the brand to see what what we have been able to accomplish in the last few years and what we have on the plans for the next few years. I think this is a good time to talk about the NX because uh, based on current projections, uh, the Lexus USA is, is just going to squeak by with enough inventory for this year. Uh, the model is already making up 41% of European sales. Are you at all surprised at the success of the NX? Well, you know, we were always really excited about the product. It's fun for me because I get to be involved with the products from even before they become products. You know, when we're going through the product planning process, we're identifying opportunities in the marketplace and we're identifying what the customer needs in a product and what the customer wants in a product, defining what that product is before we start working with our engineering teams to create the product. So, you know, you have to remember I've been involved with it from the beginning. And so I was not surprised um, by what this, this product is. We were all really excited about it. We just didn't know when we started developing the product how fast that segment was going to be growing because it is on a global basis the fastest growing segment in the industry. So our timing was really good. Some people think we were late to the market. In my case, I think we were, we timed it perfect because you could go back seven years ago and that market didn't exist. And even just three three years ago, the numbers were so small, you could hardly justify having product in that segment. Now it's a booming segment. It's growing fast. So... I think uh, that bodes well for our future. That product has been a huge success in every single market of the world, and we have every market in the world asking for more, which is a good thing. 
So when when the U.S. Get team says they'll run out, well, they may run out based on the sales plan that they put in place, uh, and that'd be a good thing if everybody in the in the world was able to hit their sales plan and run out of cars. That means there's even more demand uh, than we ever thought there would be. That's a good place for an automaker to be. I have to say that the the NX to me really represents a next generation Lexus product. I feel as though it it really hits a high note within the lineup regardless of segment. So I'm, I'm very impressed by that product. Well, I think that uh, it, it's a great step to show people what we're working on for the future. And I can't wait for you to see the things that are going to be coming out over the next few years. Can't wait either. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's been some recent media criticism of the F brand, uh, particularly from uh, UK automotive personalities. Um, the central complaint is about a disconnect in philosophy between what the LFA was and then what the RCF has become. Can you outline the overall strategy of F performance? Hmm. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the things that people write, a lot of the automotive journalists write things about the F performance brand and the RCF in particular in this case based on their perceptions of what the car should be and not what our perceptions of what we wanted to create for the marketplace. You know, we weren't trying to build a better BMW or a car that was lighter or faster than a BMW. We were trying to create something that was unique in the marketplace that addressed the needs of the driver. And that was a car that made everybody a better driver, right? So um, there are products in the marketplace that compete in the segment that not everybody can drive and be a great driver. The RCF is a great example of a product that makes everybody a better driver. If you're a neophyte driver, it makes you a better driver. If you're a race car driver, it'll make you a better driver. And so I think that there's a big disconnect between what people think we should build and what we were setting out to build. And so maybe we haven't done a good enough job communicating to the world what F is all about. In that, in that case, that's the same thing that the LFA was. It was a supercar of supercars that was also a car that made everybody a better driver. You know, there are a lot of supercars that, that, are, that are hard to drive for people that aren't you know, expert drivers. But I can put anybody in an LFA and make them a great driver. So I think that the philosophy across the F lineup from the ISF to the LFA to the RCF to the GSF is, is the same. And that is a car that is fun to drive and makes everybody a better driver. It's not about being the fastest. Well, I, you know, I, I really love that answer because I think that you really were able to encapsulate what the chief engineers have been communicating to us and what the messages have always been. It was accessible performance. And yes. I feel like that's not that people aren't seeing that for the value that it really is. Yeah, I think that we need to be better at communicating that story to the world, right? Yeah, I can't blame everybody else. In our industry, it's always been a bunch of type A personalities that want to go fast. So we have all these performance specs that, that we all write down and say, okay, what's the 0 to 60 time? What's the 0 to 100 time? What's the top speed? What's the braking distance? You know, it's like, okay, and if we wanted to build a car that would just do those things, sure, that'd be easy. But it wouldn't make you a better driver. I'm interested in the GSF and, and how you view the GSF in the lineup and how important it's going to be moving forward. Well, the G, I think the GSF is very important, just like all the other performance cars that we're bringing to marketplace, because we have a lot of customers and, there, and there's a whole group of young consumers coming to the marketplace that want more performance. So we're able to give them what we've traditionally have offered Lexus customers and give them all the performance that they need at the same time. 
And the F brand gives us a great halo across the lineup. And we have a lot of, uh, of existing Lexus customers who want to keep growing up in the Lexus lineup. And we give them more opportunities to do that with many different products, including all these F performance products. Many of the members of uh, Lexus Enthusiast were excited to hear about uh, the RCF GT3 car and it joining International Race Series. Can you expand more on how the racing program fits into the overall Lexus identity and, and what it means to the Lexus F brand? Sure. Well, racing is just all about fun, right? For most of us, it's like, that's fun. We're going to go out and have fun. One of the things that Akio Toyota challenged us with was, you know, let's show the, the emotional and the fun side of Lexus. You know, we've been known for all these great uh, rational things. We need to be known for all these emotional and fun things as well. And, and racing just makes everything that we do better. It was like the LFA, a great example. Somebody asked me about the LFA, and I said it was one of the best things we ever did. By creating the LFA, we inspired our engineers, and they learned so much about performance that's translating to every other product in the Lexus lineup. It's incredible. And the same thing happens for racing. As we develop uh, our racing programs and, and we go to race on weekends, we learn things about performance that will make our F brand even stronger and stronger in the future. And that will just trickle down across every product in the lineup. So I, I think building cars like the LFA or racing on weekends are great opportunities for us to learn, inspire our engineers, and build better cars. So just shift gears a little bit. Um, I wanted to talk about the the new RX, very impressive product. It's an interesting story and an interesting vehicle because even in the, its final year of production, current RX sales in the U.S. are just staggering. And as a company, how do you approach redesigning such an important vehicle? Well, it is really important for many, many reasons, right? It's a big volume product. We have a plant in Canada that's dedicated to building RXs, and we can build 114,000 RXs a year there, so we need to keep that plant uh, operating at capacity. My personal opinion is that the RX is still the best-looking um, SUV in that segment, in the crossover in, in the marketplace, and that's why it's having so much success even in, in its last year. And a lot of people always ask, oh, isn't that kind of risky to go bold and so so daring with the styling on the product and making that much of a dramatic change to it? And I never have felt that way. I've, I've urged our team consistently over the last 25 years to try to be more revolutionary instead of evolutionary in our designs and, and when we change from one product cycle to the next because our customers love our retail partners. They love the experience they get, and they love the quality and dependability and the safety and all the rational attributes of the Lexus brand and our products. But even they want to show their next-door neighbors that they have a new car. They want to drive the new, latest, and greatest stuff. So we owe it to our own customers and to do that. And at the same time, by being more revolutionary with design, we're going to attract more new people to the Lexus family. There are some people that feel like the RX, you know, at some point, if you don't keep changing, then you could become a victim of your own success, right? Because if we sell so many of them, uh, and we have, we sold 2.1 million RXs, and so we've sold a lot of RXs. If you don't keep changing it, then you see too many of them on the streets. And But if, if we keep making bold, revolutionary changes from one product cycle to the next, that won't happen. But we're excited about the RX. I always have been. And every time that we've shown the RX during its development process to any of our partners around the world or any consumer groups for testing, it's been a home run. The interior is such a an amazing redesign. It's really been able to maintain what made the RX special in the first place. It's a huge upgrade. 
yeah, I'm really proud of our design teams in a lot of ways. And but the interiors that you're going to see coming, I think you saw it with the NX. You, the interior of the RC has been beautiful and well received. The NX has been a huge hit. The RX the, even takes it to another level. And just wait until you see what we're doing with interiors in the future. They're beautiful, and I have to give the design team a lot of credit both for exterior design and interior design. It's not easy today when you start bringing all these new things into the car um, to be able to design a beautiful and elegant and luxurious interior and be high tech at the same time. So they do, they've, done a, they've done a great job. It's all about making it easier for the driver and building around the driver. Absolutely. The driver, in, in Lex's case, the driver is everything. So we start from there and we work out from around him. I'm just going to move on to one of my favorite topics. I, we've spoken at length uh, in the past about Lexus not going down market and that the under $30,000 price point being a hard line that Lexus won't cross. I'm a big fan of small cars, so I was really excited to see the LFSA concept, and I was wondering if you could share some insight into how this concept came about and what it means for Lexus. That concept was really all about exploring what the future may look like. You know, I don't think a lot of people really think about this in their daily lives, but there are all the major cities of the world are going to get even more populated and more crowded. People all over the world are moving to the cities. That's where the opportunities are. That's where jobs are. That's where culture is. And so all the major cities of the world are getting more congested and bigger and more populated and more congestion on the roads and everything else. So parking becomes a challenge and you know, emissions become a challenge in these cities. And so we just challenge the team to think big and think about the future and say, way out, if you go 10, 15, 20, 25 years from now, what does the world look like? What does automotive transportation look like at that point in time? And they get to play. And Fukuichi-san's design teams around the world at Calte and Newport Beach and in Nice, France and in Japan, they get the opportunity to have some resource budgets that they use just to experiment with these kinds of things. And that was one of the experiments that came out of it, and we were really excited about it. Now, everybody everybody kind of tends to talk about this $30,000. and I've never said $30,000 was a hard point. What we said was, People were going down below that, and we had no intention of building something below a CT. Uh, that wasn't our job, and I don't think that you can actually build a Lexus that has the quality and the craftsmanship and the, the content of a Lexus, of a real Lexus, and go down below the CT in terms of pricing. So that's, that's what I meant by that. It didn't mean we weren't going to build small cars. We may have small cars in the future. That's a huge opportunity uh, 25 years from now when all these cities are so congested, but I can't see building a Lexus that's cheaper than a CT is today. Well, I think that uh, the LFSA would be a, a pretty amazing starting point if you were to consider. I was blown away by it. Well, you know what? We were really excited because we kind of assumed that that would be a very polarizing design, a product that some people would love and some people would, would scoff at. But what I got from almost everybody was that people fell in love with a little car. It was great. So I think that we can see a world in the future where small cars can feel bigger than they really are and, and provide what they need in the marketplace. We're going to get into like the hypothetical part of the interview. Uh, hypothetical, okay. <laughs> which is a, uh, a nice way of putting uh, some of these questions. I'm curious about the future of Lexus and, and and what's coming and wanted to talk a little bit about the LS. The LS has always been the flagship Lexus product and uh, the current generation has brought the most change with the, the hybrid drivetrain, all-wheel drive, the long wheelbase, and, and you even introduced the, the F-Sport model. Uh, how important is it that moving forward that the LS line continues that level of innovation? 
Well, you're right. The LS was the car that launched the Lexus brand. It's a very important product for us because it's our, it is the flagship of the Lexus brand, and we're working hard on the next generation of the LS. And uh, I think when, when we're able to show the world what we're doing with that car, I think people will be really impressed. But it's really important that, that that car is important to us in so many ways. Not only is it the flagship, but it gives us the opportunity to do new things, to bring new technology to the marketplace. And, and I think that that's what that car can do for us and, and always will. Uh, so just look out for bigger and better things even for the LS in the future. It's always difficult to ask those questions because <laughs> I understand that it's impossible to you know speak about the future product. It's definitely on everyone's mind, the new LS. So moving from the LS to the, uh, the other flagship model, uh, the LFA is now two years out of production. How is Lexus's approach to the concept of a halo car changing and evolving? Yeah, this is an interesting conversation that I have with a lot of people all the time. You know, a lot of people saw the LFA as the halo car that it was, and it really truly was. But I think there's a lot of, a lot of forms of a halo car, right? To us, the RCF and the GSF and other products we have coming will also be halo cars. And in a way, we may have versions of the LS that are their halo cars in the future as well. So I think there's different definitions for halo cars. I, don't misquote me on this, but I, I've said this before and someone else misquoted me. Akio Toyota believes that every generation of people, now a generation is every 20 to 30 years, right? So every generation of people needs um, a car like the LFA, right? Something really spectacular, something really special. On the Toyota side, years ago, you know, the 2000 GT was seen as that, that kind of a special car for a generation of car buyers. So I think you'll see us continue to do those things in the future. But between now and the time that you see another LFA or anything like that, you'll see a lot of other Halo products in the F-branded genre. So you really do see the F-brand as the Halo of Lexus? Well, we, we see that as one of the halos, right? That's the performance halo. So you're going to see performance halos. You're going to see luxury halos. And you may even see halos that are, uh, how do I say this, without, without giving up too much information. I think you'll see several segments of halo cars within the Lexus brand is what I'm trying to say. Well, I like the sound of that. That's for sure. I just want to jump to SUVs. Uh, for the most part, competitors have switched from body-on-frame truck platforms to unibody structures. And Lexus created the luxury crossover with the RX, but still half of the SUV lineup in the USA uh, remains body on frame. Do you see that as a competitive advantage or an opportunity to change for the future? Well, I see it as both. I, I think that it's a competitive advantage for us sometimes because there are a lot of consumers still that want that body on frame truck feel in their SUVs. It's also um, a benefit to us to have those in our lineup on a global basis because there are some markets around the world, like the Middle East, where the LX and GX are their number one selling products. And you know, in Saudi Arabia, the LX is our number one selling product, and the average customer is 32 years old. It's amazing. We sell a lot of them. Uh, so it's a very important product, and it's an opportunity for us in the short term. In the long term, you're going to see the marketplace, the entire industry, shift to more car-based platforms because regulations in every market around the world are going to dictate that that continues to take place. So that'll be the future of the industry, not just Lexus. Well, that ends the, the segment of the interview with uh, my questions. Uh, we're going to move on to my uh, audience and the members of my website. They proposed questions and then uh, voted on the, the final set that I'm going to ask you. And well, that's great. This, that's the best, those are the best questions, the ones that come from our consumers. That's great. They're definitely a varied and interesting group of questions for sure. So member Demetrius uh, wonders how Lexus will be affected by Toyota's uh, soon-to-be-introduced new global architecture. 
Yeah, that is uh, that's a great question. One of the good things about running Lexus is that we have this big sister company over there called Toyota that's selling nine and a half million cars a year and the development that we get to share with them. So we will share on several of our products, the platforms, the, the TNG platforms that are being developed across the company, but they'll be even better and lighter and more flexible in the future. And like many of you heard in the past, when the chief engineer of the NX was out uh, showing off his baby for the first time, he told people, yeah, we share that platform with uh, several other products, including RAV4, but 95% of the parts in the car are different. It's very different. So in our case, we get the benefit of the joint development with Toyota for platforms, and we'll have better platforms that are lighter, more flexible, and we'll be able to build even better Lexus products in the future because of it. The next question comes from Apples. Apple. Uh, Apples. He wonders if Lexus will support uh, Apple's CarPlay, or if you'll be introducing any system that's compatible with uh, the Android Auto system. Yeah, you know this is really this is a really interesting um, it's an interesting dilemma, I guess, for our industry. You think about the, the smartphone business in general, and you talk about hardware, software providers, and that industry because the price points are low for the products. They're, they're changing more rapidly. The, the capital investment for development of a product isn't the same as the cars. You know, it takes us years and huge amounts of capital to design, engineer, and manufacture cars relative to the smartphones and things. And so the development cycles are on, on very different paths, right? So we always have to adapt to that industry, and it's really important because it's important to consumers, so we have to figure it out. The key to it for us is to provide customer choice. It's not to pick one or the other and say, we're going to go with Apple's CarPlay or Android system. We need something that will give every customer the opportunity to use their device of choice in our car and be able to use their phone for the things that they need to do while they're on the move. And so we will continue to develop things that will work for multiple devices, not just one or the other. So for our next question is from Corrado MR2. He's wondering about Lexus setting the gold standard of customer service excellence 25 years ago and is still regarded as the industry's best. But the gap between Lexus and its competitors have narrowed. What can we expect from Lexus to leap forward from competition in regards to the customer experience? That's a great question and something that goes right to the heart of some of the projects that we have going on right now. You know, it's easy for people to copy things that we've done in the past. You know, 25 years ago, we came to the marketplace and nobody was providing a great customer experience. Nobody was building a great quality product. Nobody was actually delivering a great value proposition to a customer. And we looked at the marketplace and talked to luxury car buyers and said, what are you missing in that luxury car experience? And we learned a lot from those conversations with consumers. And so we implemented a lot of things that were industry first at the time. And those things are easy to copy. People over time have copied them. They figured out a way to, to pay for those programs and be able to support those things on a long-term basis. It's harder to innovate like we did in the beginning. And that's what we're trying to do now. I mean, but the most important thing is that we, we have developed over the last 25 years a culture for customer care. And we have a, a team, both our retail partners and everybody inside Lexus here in the U.S. and on, our, on a global scale, who understand that that is the most important thing. That's the one thing that we have to do better than everybody else in the world. And on a global basis, we are at Lexus International pushing um, some customer care programs on a global basis, trying to get people to think about that every single day. 
the key the key to it is every one of our dealers, our retail partners here in the U.S. and all over the world can provide that one singular thing that came out of the Lexus Covenant more than 25 years ago. That is, we will treat each and every customer as we would a guest in our home, and that's kind of the mindset that everybody has in the organization. So you use that as the as the basis, and then build around it. Yes, absolutely. That that built the culture within Lexus, and that's something that people can't copy. You can copy the programs that we roll out, but you can't copy the culture that we created within the company. And we're going to try to build build upon that culture. So member Fear the You wonders, do you see the Lexus F performance brand expanding to other models outside of the RCF and the GSF? Yes. Perfect answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'll say about it. Yes. That's the best answer that you, we could ask for. And then the final member question is from uh, Gecko, and he's he wonders, Lexus Japan has the L-Select customization program for the LS. Do you foresee a, such a program ever being offered anywhere else in the world? Yeah, I think that that's a huge opportunity for us personally. It's something that we've had a lot of conversations about. It's a very successful program in Japan, and I know that you've seen it, Kevin. It's really cool. People can come and look. In fact, in top of the Takanawa showroom upstairs, there are actual seats in the different patterns and different colors that you can put in into a car and put it together so you can see what it looks like and choose your door panels and your and your seats and it's a really great program it works in japan really well because the lead time from production at the hara plant for an ls to delivery to a customer is pretty short for other markets in the world there's a longer lead time which makes it a little more difficult but we do think there's an opportunity for doing that in the short term we've done that for some special edition cars where we've taken some of the l select features and we've used them in special edition cars in different markets around the world. So I think that that's a huge opportunity for us. And I, I think it's safe to say that we'll continue to roll those out in a bigger way in the future. A follow-up to that question is, do you see something similar to the European delivery programs offered by BMW and Mercedes where you can visit your car being built and drive it on the continent and then put it on the, the boat for it to be delivered? Yeah, we, you know, we've had conversations about that in the future. We just It's hard for us to determine how much demand there is for a program like that, especially since so many of our cars are built in Japan and our right-hand drive market. It'd be difficult for people here in North America to go to Japan, pick up their car, and drive it around in Japan in the right-hand drive market with a left-hand drive car. So that, that creates a little bit of a challenge for us. And, you know, our biggest market, of course, is the United States. And so between the United States and Canada... We have all these left-hand drive customers going to a right-hand drive market to buy a left-hand drive car. I guess the better question is, how many people do I have to sign up to a program before you'll approve it? <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me ask this. The better question for me to turn it around on them, and, and that was a great question. Say, how many of you would actually do that if we, if we figured out a way to make it happen? I'll, I'll put together a list. The easier way for us to pull off a program like that would be for production here in North America. So we could have people from all over the world buy an RX and come to Canada possibly. But the problem is we only build 114,000 a year and we fill all those 114,000 for North America. doesn't have the, sort of the mystique. Yeah, we can't have somebody fly from Europe to come to pick up a car here because they get Japan-built cars, not North American-built cars. <laughs> it's definitely a conundrum. So, you know, there, there are a lot of challenges with it. We've talked about it for years. I mean, many years, probably for 20 years, we've been talking about whether we should be doing something like that. But we've never been able to quantify what we think that audience would be. And, and there are a lot of challenges with it. But it'd be interesting to have that conversation with your members. 
Yeah, definitely. I'll start to I'll start up a dialogue with everyone and see what. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll have something don't for you any, by next week. <laughs> don't make any promises, though. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no problem. We have two more questions, and they're just fun questions. I'm sure you drive all Lexus models extensively, but what do you drive on a daily basis? When I'm where? <laughs> Let's so do it for I, both I, both regions. Yeah, so I have kind of a crazy schedule, and I tend to spend two weeks a month in Japan. Uh, a week a month in the U.S. and and the rest of the time traveling to other markets around the globe. So most of the time when I'm in other markets around the globe, I'm not driving. I'm riding. I'm, I'm in crazy atmospheres and other people are driving me around. When I drive in Japan, I typically drive competitor products. Hmm. So you know we always we constantly go through uh, a pool fleet of of competitor products. So when I'm there, I typically just drive those competitor products. I don't have my own car when I'm there. Uh, when I'm in the U.S. right now, I have a GS. Actually, my my house looks like a used car lot, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I, have, I have a GS, an RX, an NX, and then I have two young adult men that drive a Tacoma and a Tundra. So uh, it looks like a used car lot in front of my house right now. I pegged you as an LX uh, driver. You know what? I drove LXs for a long time. I, I did. We drove. My wife drove LXs for a long time. When we had kids and everything, we had LXs around nice having that big three-row SUV around, and especially when we were places like Atlanta when we ran the region down there. We'd get snow a couple times a year, and my wife liked to have that big four-wheel drive. And, um, I drove Alexis for a long time, but when I started working in Japan, I, I said I don't really need that much product sitting there at the house all the time, not being used, and, and we came out with the new GS, and I loved it because it's so much fun to drive. And I love the new IS too, but I'm, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm a 6'2", and I don't fit in small cars as well as I do in bigger cars. I wanted something that gave me the performance, but uh, gave me enough room to put five people in to go out to dinner at the same time. I stand by saying that the uh, the GS is is my favorite uh, Lexus product out there. Well, I still just have a blast driving it. Final question, funnest question. What's your favorite all-time Lexus model? Well, I love them all. And of course, you know, I drive them all. But it's a pretty easy answer when you ask what's your favorite. LFA has got to be my favorite. There's nothing like an LFA, and I, I really think Jeremy Clarkson was right when he said it was the best car he's ever driven. It's the best car I've ever driven. I'm probably in the future going to have to uh, say, what's your favorite all-time Lexus model besides the LFA? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably what you're going to have to continue to say. They're all great. I love them all. We wouldn't build them if we didn't love them all, but uh, the LFA has got to be everyone's favorite. Well, Mark, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I uh, appreciate you answering all of our questions. Well, there's nothing I'd rather do. I, your community of uh, enthusiasts is, is amazing, and uh, I watch your site all the time because sometimes I don't know where you get the information, but you surprise me. Uh, <laughs> I think you have every, every Lexus retailer in the world watching you to see what you come up with. I give you kudos for running a really great site. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Your products make it worth it. Thanks for everything, Kevin.